of you, uh, how many of you will be in Bloomington on Christmas Day? Just show a hand, just out of curiosity. Okay, just wondering. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do, uh, I'm going to ask you right now to make a, sh uh, a shift of emotion for a second. And it may seem kind of awkward and odd, but it's going to be good and appropriate. Because we've sung about, oh, happy day. We've sung with some uh, joyful songs. We've just laughed about Christmas and things like that. And that is good and that is appropriate. One of the things that uh, a good friend of mine comes to church here, Paul Gutjahr, has said before, where there is no laughter, there is no gospel. But at the same time, I think it's equally true. Equally true intention, where there is no sorrow or sadness, there is no gospel. Because that's part of the human condition. That's part of what Jesus came to redeem. And I'm going to have you stand in a second. We're going to sing this old Christmas carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I'm going to have, go to the next slide. I'm going to juxtapose it with a picture from this weekend, all right? And I'm not trying to be emotionally play with you, but what I want us to realize is we don't belong here in this world. The Bible tells us we're strangers and aliens here, and the world is not what it ought to be yet. Some of you, not only with that, but uh, Stephen, the guy leading the uh, band today, he had a good friend die this week. He was at a funeral this week. I was asked to do a funeral tomorrow of somebody. Some of you may not have death in your family. You may have death in your marriages. You may have death in relationships. And so it's good and appropriate that we laugh and sing about God's bringing happiness to our life, but it's also good and appropriate that we acknowledge um, we're on the other side of heaven right now. We still follow Jesus. We still find joy in life, but we acknowledge uh, pain and sorrow. And when I first heard about what happened then on Friday, my first reaction was, even so, come Lord Jesus. This is not where he belongs. So stand with me, and we're going to sing this a cappella. And there's two different verses. <laughs> um, I hope I start in the right note. If I don't, I will stop and restart us, Okay. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come thou, day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night And death's dark shadows put to flight Lift your voices Rejoice, rejoice Emmanuel And just uh, some of you, just out loud and loud, just one at a time as you feel led to, just out loud, just say, come Lord Jesus. Just whoever, out loud, go ahead.
Jesus, we long for the day when you, the Prince of Peace, um, are on your throne. And we do lift our... We not only lift our hearts for those in the, in the pain and the tragedy of Connecticut, but we know there are people in this room that feel intense pain and loneliness and death either physically or even emotionally. And we don't want to ignore that. We don't want to gloss over that. We don't want to pretend that we have a, a plastic happy face when the reality is there's pain and sorrow. But you promise us, Jesus, you promise that the world can't take away our joy. And in some tense way, we understand both those true at the same time. And those of us who are followers of you we need to embrace the sorrow of the human condition, but also embrace the joy of the, of the Messiah who's come and who is redeeming and will redeem the world. And we will be, not just we, but the world will be what you intended it to be when you created it. And we long for that day and we will cooperate with you, Jesus, to do whatever you want us to do to bring that day forward. And uh, we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Okay, so images of Christmas, and we just talked about this a little bit, and there's, we're going to, here's, here's what we want. Here's what we want. Next slide. We want this, right? We want this. That's what we want Christmas to be. But right now we get this, all right? We want this. Go to the next one. We want this. We want, you know, fireplace, Christmas tree. We want this, and we get this. And it's kind of like, how do you, or supposed to live, which world are we supposed to live in? All right? Because do those go together, and how do they go together? Because we want to live in one, but we don't want the other, but we know it's real. How do we do with that? So let's go to, let's go to the Christmas story. All right, we want this. You know, away in the manger. Yes, yes, of course there's discomfort. You had to have a baby in a manger. But that's about as much discomfort as we want in the Christmas story, right? We don't want, you know, yeah, it's dirty and... It'd be nice if they would have been able to stay on a Holiday Inn Express and not in the manger and probably stunk a little bit, but that's uncomfortable. But we, we want that, but we get this because in Revelation chapter 12, which you read a few weeks ago, talks about the same time what was happening backstage was Satan was attacking and there was evil happening. All right, so we want this, Luke 2. Here's Luke 2 again, another, I just found all these manger scenes, all right? We had one like this when I was growing up and uh, the baby seems a little bit oversized there, but that's okay. The head is always big, right? The head of baby Jesus is always way too big. We want this in Luke 2. We want the shepherds abiding in their fields and the wise men and all this. We want this, but yet we get this. And uh, in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about war in heaven and the angel Michael fighting the dragon. And then you start thinking, okay, is this kind of like make-believe, kind of like the hobbit or kind of like things like that? Or is what John's saying in Revelation true? And then there's a, what happens in front of this curtain, but there's a whole lot happening back behind the curtain in our lives. And why the birth of Jesus was happening and why Jesus was coming into the world to redeem us at the same time, since there is an invisible world that we believe is true, the same time Satan was working to stifle and to kill anything that Jesus was going to do, right? So what we're going to do is, if you have on your, everybody should have on their seats one of these green pieces of paper here, and you should have a red pen, so I tried to be Christmassy, green paper, red pen, all right? I'm going to read this through, and I'm going to have you circle certain things, because I want us, again, 
We love the Christmas story. We love laughter. We love warm feelings. We love fireplaces. We love the Christmas story. We love the joy of Jesus, the Redeemer. But I think our joy only will go as deep as our ability to acknowledge uh, the sorrow. All right? We want to be joyful, but we have to be realistic joyful. Full joyful, which is what God wants of us, all right? So now we're going to read what I, w- what I would say is backstage behind the Christmas story. So if you can imagine for me right here, some really cool life-size manger scene. I'm not going to have people act out parts or anything. And I'm, and I'm reading, and so are you reading behind the curtain, all right? So just follow with me, and I'll tell you why I want to underline. Then I witnessed, I'm going to put my glasses on. I did this in 10-point font, so all of you who need to put reading glasses on. Actually, ra- raise your hand, reading glasses, people. All right, way to go. We have a few of those here. The rest of you, it's coming, all right? All right, then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed in the sun with a moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. If you were here two weeks ago, we read this, all right? So I'm continuing part of that sermon. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. So he just described kind of the symbolism of Christmas. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns, seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. And he stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour, circle that, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Then there was war in heaven, circle war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. Now, just an aside here, most people with other passages of Scripture congruent with this. Many, many, you know, theologians or past spiritual leaders and thinkers believe that this may indicate that maybe a third of the angels originally created fell with Satan. Um, And again, it it almost feels like, are we talking about the hobbit here? Are we talking make-believe? This is what the Bible teaches to be true to reality, okay? We don't know if exactly a third, but this is, there's symbolism here, but there's also some surreality behind it. And the dragon lost the battle. He and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, all right? And that line, underline dragon, serpent, devil, Satan. Underline the four words that are used to describe uh, the enemy of our own souls. Dragon, serpent, devil, Satan. The one who, the one deceiving the whole world, circle deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. So John's kind of taking an interlude in the midst of all this drama and this evil. He's, he's hearing a cry of victory, the song of victory. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, circle accuser. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much they were afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice. But terror, circle terror, but terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, circle great anger, knowing that he has little time. When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, 
he pursued, circle he pursued. She can tell already we're circling kind of words that describe the activity of Satan. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but she was given two wings like those in a great eagle. So the symbolism here is Jesus was born, Herod has the babies killed. Satan is pursuing, like I said before, whenever God starts something, Satan wants to kill it at birth. Moses, think Moses, when he was born, the children were killed. When the Nehemiah was building the wall, they were being discouraged right away. So the symbolism here is clear from the life of Jesus that when uh, Satan begins to pursue the male child. She was given two wings, verse 14, like that of a great eagle, so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. Joseph and Mary and Jesus fled to Egypt, if you remember the, the in front of the stage story. There she'd be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times and a half a time. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman, circled drown, with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry, circle angry, and declared war. The circle declared war. Against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Right by that phrase, write the word me. M-E, because he's talking about you. Satan declared war against the rest of the children of, 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 of Mary and of Jesus, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. All right? So if you read down real quick from your circles, Satan is ready to devour. He's on a warfare rampage. He's a serpent. He's the devil. He's a dragon. He deceives. He accuses. He's angry. He pursues. He tries to drown. He declares war. He's angry. This is what John's telling the people in the seven churches of Asia that we've talked about before. This is what he's telling people in the churches of our day and age. This is what uh, this is kind of the backside story of Christmas. Yes, there's incredible joy in Christmas because Jesus came to break the curse of Satan. But unless we balance that with the reality of evil and the reality of warfare against our own souls and the reality that Satan will accuse and discourage and try to drown and try to devour, the scripture says in the New Testament that's what he does. If we don't wrestle with that reality, I, we do end up living what I would say just as a fake Christian life, all right? And see, just like everything else, let me just go to the couple of phrases that we've talked about, and then um, last, when we did this two weeks ago, when I did the sermon two weeks ago, go to the next slide, we talked about you have an enemy, all right? And this is not meant to be like, ooh, I'm afraid, but let's be real, we have an enemy. Second thing we talked about a couple weeks ago was this, um, he wants to destroy you. And the statement I've used, which I just talked about earlier before, any movement toward freedom and life will always be opposed. The moment you begin to step out and following the seed of Jesus being born in you, whether it says your first conversion, whether it's you're trying to bring some health in your marriage, health in a relationship, you're trying to forgive somebody else, anytime you move in f toward freedom that God's calling you to, the life of Jesus being birthed in you, um, the story of Scripture is that your story is no, unlike the biblical stories. You will hit opposition. Satan does want not, not, wants Jesus not to be born in you to any degree. Or if he is born in you, he will try to stunt him as a child. All right? Next one. Um, and so this is what I... Uh, well, I'll anchor on this week, and then we're going to do something a little different after this. The story of your life, and this is you, 
The story of your life is the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. You think, well, I just have all these things go wrong in my life, blah, blah, blah. And no, I'm not trying to find Satan behind every water pump breakage in your car. I'm not saying Satan's the one that downstairs and, you know, uh, broke your pipes or whatever. But when it's your heart is at stake, if Jesus said he came to set us free and he came to have his people of joy and a fullness of life and forgiveness, um, it makes sense then that if Jesus is doing that and says the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, maybe we ought to actually believe the thief does come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's trying to kill your heart. All right? Because what we're trying to figure out is how do you... Oh, where's my glasses? Right there. I was like, like, I'm really getting old. How do, you, how, how do we deal with, okay, you have these images of Christmas, you know, the manger and soft snow, but you have these images of Christmas, whether it's the pain of this weekend or just the serpent pain, serpent images, but yet you also have, okay, I look at my life and I see things in my life where I see the goodness of my heart and I see what God's doing. But why do I still lose my temper with my wife? Why do I still do this? Why do I still struggle with this? And, and we don't know how to live with both those being real at the same time. And we go to either kind of a false goodness where we want everything to be good and we don't want to acknowledge any of our stuff. Or we live in the world of self-condemnation. Because we don't know how to push those two side by side because they don't feel like they fit. So in light of this, a couple weeks ago when I did this sermon... Or part of this sermon, I, um, I, got, I, I, I got an email um, and I had a conversation with uh, Hillary Morozov. Morozova. I'm on a fair Hillary. Uh, Hillary, uh, where's, is Vadim here? Just to be able to put you together. Okay. Vadim, uh, Vadim is her husband. Uh, it's funny, I heard a story really recently where somebody said, oh, they, they were talking about some guy called the Dean, but it's Vadim, that's her husband, and Morozov, but. The female's last name has an uh on the end in Russian, right? Right, something. To find, that I'm a female. to find that she's a female. So, anyway, Hillary sent me an email. And we had a conversation. She told me she, I did not finish the sermon. She said, You didn't finish the sermon, Matt. And she wasn't critical. She was pointing out like something was missing. And so uh, she wrote a long email, and um, I'm going to read a couple of the questions you posed in the email, and then we're going to have a conversation about kind of this tension of how do you push these things together? How do you deal with spiritual warfare? How do you deal with the life of Christ being birthed in you without being overwhelmed by the spiritual issues, the, the warfare issues? But, you know, she wrote an email. A couple of the questions she wrote was this, that she said she wrote in response to my sermon two weeks ago, that she said I didn't finish, all right? Which I didn't. So <laughs> I was going to finish it, but not the way we're finishing this week. This has been good. Are we, one question one she wrote, are we always going to face these battles? Like, is that our lot in life? Is Satan always going to assault us? Another question she wrote, am I ever going to get it? And then she put in the parentheses, joy, peace, and freedom. Am I ever going to get that? Or am I just going to always live life reaching for it and never getting there? And then another question, the last question. She wrote a number of questions. This is one more I highlighted. How do I know if I've grown in my relationship with Jesus when I feel like there's so much more to be done in my life? How do I deal with what I know is kind of the darker parts of my heart or the parts yet unredeemed, but I know I have the spirit of Jesus in me, at least I thought I do, I think I did, now I don't know what to do with that, all right? So Hillary, why don't you... Uh, 
if you, if you don't mind, even telling us some of the thoughts that happened that Sunday, even since then, just start there. Because one thing you said you've been doing is praying, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Right. Which yeah. I've asked, oh, no, you need a microphone. I prefer not to have a microphone, but. Okay, here we go. Can everybody hear me better now? Is it on or not? Yes. Good. Good. So why don't you kind of uh, give us kind of a summary picture of kind of the struggle you were sensing or are sensing. Okay. Well, all this kind of came about. It's interesting that Matt preached this because back when, I don't know, I would say September, when in church he was saying, you know, really pray, honestly, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. I started doing that. I, every day would say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. But it's so interesting um, that I started having, believing, I guess I started praying more, reading the Bible. I would read the Bible, see the fruits of the Spirit, you know, read Proverbs 31. I want to be that godly woman. I want to be that person. And then shut the Bible, you know, go about my daily life. Something would happen. For example, like yelling at the kids, my own kids. And honestly, in my head, I started hearing, you're a failure. You're never going to get it. You just read the Bible. You're never going to get it. I started believing that. Now, I wouldn't share these with anybody. These were just going through my head. Really, a lot of self Now that I look back, it was a lot of self-condemnation. I'm never going to get this life. I'm not good enough. I'm in a small group. We study the Bible. You know, I was reading for that. I want this. I want that. Talking about, I want this. I want joy, peace, and freedom. I'm not feeling it. I am hearing that I'm a failure. I'm never going to get it. I mean, I mean, I'll be honest. One day, and I never even told my husband this, but one day, it was, I don't even remember what happened. But I was standing in my kitchen, and I remember thinking... I had suicidal thoughts. I should end this now because I'm never going to be good enough for Jesus. I mean, I'm, and it's not, I wasn't sending anything. It was just small things that I thought, I'm not experiencing this joy and freedom. I don't, I want to take this life right now. Maybe I should end this. Thankfully, my husband called in just whatever daily conversation, and I broke down in tears. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get what's going on. I, I believe I'm a failure. He's like, you're not. I said, I believe I'm feeling you, the kids, my friends, everyone around me. Because what you see in the Bible is not what you see in your life. And you're like, I don't know what to do with both these pictures. Right. I I don't know anymore. I don't know about anything anymore. It's kind of how I left it. Now, I was saved when I was eight. When I was 16, I was baptized, you know, had Jesus in my life. Um, But three years ago, if you said, is there an invisible world? I would have said, yeah. I mean, but this, I can honestly say there is an invisible world. It was, so that was kind of the turning point. And then my friend gave me the book, The Bondage Breaker by Neil Anderson. I started reading that and it was like, and and the book is about kind of the subtle ways in which Satan deceives us, deceives us, discourages us, accuses us, all the things we said, shows his anger toward us. And I'd even say sometimes, you know, if, if, if Satan is smart, which the Bible says he is, I think there's times where even the thoughts that Hillary was thinking that were self-condemning, we tend to think, well, that must be what I think about myself or must be God thinks about me. And we don't often think maybe there's another voice we haven't factored into the equation. Maybe these are the whispers of Satan because he knows exactly how to mimic even what we think is our own voice. Mm -hmm. And he's the one saying, you're blowing it. You're blowing it. The two primary lies of Satan, and every lie attaches to this, two primary lies. One, God isn't good. He's withholding. That's what he told Adam and Eve. God's not really good. He's holding something back. And some of you may be hearing those theme and variation on that lie. God is holding out on you. The other lie that Satan loves to tell and every kind of variation of that is you're blowing it. You're blowing it. So if he can get you to think that God's not good, he's holding out on you, 
or if he can think, which is the one that Hillary feels like she's kind of living in that, uh, that lie at times, is you're blowing it. Um, Satan knows he can derail you. Absolutely. But so. thanks to that book, Bondage Breaker, I started asking questions, realizing, who am I in Christ? Who am I in Jesus Christ? Would Jesus, if I am his child, which I know I am now, he wouldn't tell me I'm a failure. I am saved, redeemed by his grace. Praise the Lord God in heaven above. Because I can't do this life anymore on my own. So, so that, I, start, I shared this all in small group through tons of tears. It was like, I mean, I think Jesus has revealed a lot to me, but not in the way I expected. I think even talking to Matt this week, I was like, I want to be whole, but I don't know if I can ever get there. And, my, and then I started asking really deep, I mean, seriously, the deepest questions I've ever asked in my entire life. Am I hearing the Holy Spirit? I mean, that's not the Holy Spirit. I mean, I don't know. Is it okay? And, and then this was, stirs up all these emotions, like, oh, my gosh. Um, but after a talk with Matt this week and friends, good friends that ask deep questions, that tell me the truth and tell me I'm not failing, um, gosh, God has shown me so much. I can honestly say that I was listening to the radio this week, and it hit me, a song on the radio, Father, you're a home to the broken. So I started peeling off all these, I felt like I, all week, past couple weeks, past four weeks, I've been peeling off duct tape. I've been driving down the road for a while with my check engine light on, as Matt has nah. said, and I've had to like pull over at the side of the road, and I'm undoing all this duct tape, and I'm realizing, deep down, Jesus, I'm broken. I've been trying to do, I've really been holding back on Jesus, wanting to control my life. I think I'm in control of it. And Jesus has been showing me, but you're not. You're broken. And so this week, is just, it's been awesome. He's blown my socks off, as I would say, in several ways. And I can honestly say there is um, victory in Jesus Christ. There is. The truth has set me free. And I claim that and I believe that. Well, and, and it's interesting because even the, 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 two, the two pictures, okay, on one side, I'm broken. On the other side, I'm a child of God redeemed. And we have a hard time living in both those realities at the same time. Because if we live in the broken world, if, if, if we stay there, then self-condemnation hits. Right. But if we stay over here and I'm redeemed, which is true, I am redeemed. I'm a child of God. I'm, I have a, Scripture teaches, and I was, when Hillary had, had this conversation, I've had this conversation with others too, that the Scripture says that she has a new heart. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Mm-hmm. So we have a new heart. But this side of heaven, we are not yet fully redeemed. It's kind of what often people call the now and the not yet. I, I know what I am now, but I'm not yet what I ought to be. And, and living in that tension of, okay, what does it mean if I'm a child of God? And then when she used the word broken, you know what Scripture says about brokenness? God says, that's who I esteem, those who are broken. Broken doesn't mean like pitiful and... I'm in a self-pity party and nobody wants, you're Eeyore. doesn't mean you're Eeyore. Oh, I mean, that's not, bro- brokenness is I know the parts of me that aren't yet fully redeemed and I'm not going to deny those parts and I'm going to be, I'm ask, give God access to that as much as I know how. The way I've said it to people is I know my heart is good because the Bible tells me so, but I also know I have a capability to still hurt people. And that doesn't mean my heart isn't good. It means that there's still parts of me that God has not fully redeemed. Because what happens is you, we, sometimes we can't deal with both. And that's why I think Hillary's tension has been, and all of our tension. Hillary's story is my story, and it's your story too, right? Okay, I, I, I think this is true about me, but why am I doing this? So uh, 
Hillary, just what do you, what's, what's next, do you think, for you? What are you hoping is next? What do you hope this journey brings you next? Peace, joy, and freedom, which I can honestly claim I felt that this week for the first time in probably a couple months. For the first time, actually, in a couple years, to be honest. I mean, I've been, I've been living not a fake life, but I feel like God's been removing so much duct tape. She, when she said duct tape, I, a couple times a year ago, I did a sermon where I talked about we live our lives trying to fix everything with duct tape, but it's not really the way to fix it. Although in my house it is, but not in real life, all right? <laughs> not in real life. And we tend to duct tape life, our spiritual lives together, and then realize it's not holding. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely, because I thought somehow, also maybe Satan, I had thought I, to be a Christian woman, I have to have it all together. I can never show that I'm weak. I can never cry. I can never feel I have to show that I have it all together. Like, I mean, Jesus even revealed, Hillary, you don't like to ask for prayer. Yeah, I don't, because that, that means I'm weak. It means you you're needy. What? Right, I'm yeah. needy. But Jesus showed me, when you're weak, I'm strong. Hello. I mean, I've just... Is that in the Bible? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> Did Hello. Paul say that? <laughs> so it's been no, this week. Like, well, she even, you know, it's one of the things she's emailed and we talked about was just that she's tired of wearing the mask. And um, let me ask you this. How are you feeling right now taking your mask off a little bit? Does it feel awkward? Do you feel yeah. condemned? Do you feel, you know, okay. Freedom, I don't have those negative thoughts anymore. I mean, seriously, back at Sarah's, I almost called it like noises. There was so much noise in my head. I mean, yeah, I could go about my daily life and interact with people, but deep down, it just, the rest of the day, really, by the end of the evening, I didn't even want to socialize with anybody. I felt so badly about myself that it was, I was a failure. I was a failure. That's what Satan told me. Yeah. That's what I felt. But, you know, when you're going through it, I don't think you really realize that you're being told a lie. But yeah. I, tru- truthfully, what I think is, I didn't know who I was in Jesus Christ. I Be- didn't know who I because was. Because Jesus, if you, are in, if you are in Christ and you have the Spirit of God in you, Jesus, never, Je- Jesus doesn't call us failures. No. He, yeah, th- and there's a difference between conviction of the Holy Spirit, convicting us of sin, and, and condemnation. Condemnation is the voice tone of Satan. You're blowing it, Hillary. You're, you're a horrible mom. Who do you think you are? You're not even a Christian. That's condemnation. It's that heaviness. Conviction is where the Spirit of God might say to Hillary, you are not real kind to your husband right now. Vadim told me to say that. No, <laughs> no but he, he, the Spirit might say, you weren't kind. You need to go make that right. But he doesn't say, you're blowing it, Hillary. And, and, and we, we tend to forget, we tend to get those two vocal tones messed up because up. yes the spirit convicts of sin mm-hmm. he convicts but he convicts for the purpose of freedom be, to be alive awake and free condemnation look at the fruit of what you're experiencing if the fruit of what you're experiencing is isolation depression and kind of self-hatred it's condemnation if the fruit of what you're experiencing is kind of some discomfort and you know i know it's the right thing to do then it's conviction and it will set you free and so learning the difference, I mean, we've just read in this passage, I mean, Satan has a whole arsenal. Accusation, anger, deception, discouragement. He has an whole arsenal against us, and he has a strategy against every single one of us. He does. But the message of Christmas is uh, John, who wrote Revelation, also wrote 1 John. And one of the things John says in 1 John is the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Mm-hmm. All right? That's what he came to do. So is the battle still going on? Yes, it is. And is it going to be this everyday battle 
maybe not in certain intensities, but this side of heaven, Satan will do everything he can to assault you. And Jesus has done already everything he needs to do to, to give you victory. And, we, and, and it's, it's not just a matter of, I got to live in it, and, you know, name it, claim it, but it's, and even Hillary's key thing she said was, she's been in conversation with people this week about this, in relationship with people the last couple of weeks. Relationships are where you experience the grace of God in your life. And these people didn't say to you, oh, Hillary, you're nuts, you're crazy, you don't, I don't want to talk to you anymore. They were people that she trusted spiritually who spoke grace into her life, Absolutely. right? And yes. not condemnation. Right. So part of, the, part of the encouragement there is, I think Dan has said it this way before, the spiritual life, the Christian life is not, a, is not to be meant to be lived alone. And if that's you, Satan will kind of find ways to discourage and derail you and, and defeat you. And um, find somebody to talk to, find a relationships to be in spiritually, find small groups or whatever. But, and you may be sitting here thinking, well, I I'm exactly feel like Hillary feels. And Satan, another one of Satan's big lies is if, if he can keep you secret, if he can keep you not talking to anybody, then he starts telling you, which I know he was telling Hillary, nobody's as bad as you are. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. a bad Christian. And if other people knew how bad of a Christian you were, they would not even want to talk to you. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but maybe not by much. No, you're not. Because I didn't even want to talk to my own spouse about it for weeks. This was going on at four weeks until it hit literally rock bottom. Okay. I really thought I should end it. I, I should commit suicide. I don't know if I can go do this life anymore. I'm just so thankful he called that day because once it spilled out, it's like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not. And he didn't say I was crazy. That's the thing. He didn't say I was crazy. He's like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, you're not feeling me. I'm like, what? I mean, really? I, I was so deceived. Um, here's what I want to do just to close because one of Hillary's good friend said to Hillary, Hillary, if you're going to share, then, again, if, like Satan, then expect some kind of assault the next day. And again, we're not saying we live in fear of Satan. We live in awareness that his schemes are always being plotted against us. So um, we're going to pray for Hillary. But I also want, I want everybody, I want everybody to close their eyes. And if, and if parts of Hillary's story resonate with your story and you would like for us to pray for you as well uh, um, to be aware of the schemes of satan and aware of the voice of the spirit to a degree above the voice of satan i'm going to ask you to stand up keep your eyes closed just stand up if that if you just feel like you know i, I need prayer i need prayer because this issue in my life is uh you don't even you may not even know hillary but you feel like you're really good friends with her right now because that's who you are all right and uh, I'm going to pray. Jesus, uh, we believe the invisible world's real. We believe this very moment, uh, God, I believe this very moment, Jesus, you are incredibly pleased, not just with Hillary, but the, with those who are standing. You find pleasure in those who are standing. You don't condemn them. You're not disgusted with them. You don't hate them but your heart is for anyone who is willing to be broken before you. So God, our prayer is even this Christmas season, we, we want the life of Christ to be birthed in, in us over and over again. And we want to be aware in the ways in which Satan is so much against that. But we want to, as scripture says, we can overcome. 
And so, God, I pray for Hillary. I pray for all these people who are standing. I pray that even in the next few days, God, I pray the voice of Satan will be silenced in their lives. I pray that the words of the Spirit will be loud in their lives. I pray that the words of other spiritual friends they have would be loud in their lives the next few days. I pray that when they read Scripture, Scripture will be very loud to them. And they'll know what's true about them. And especially in these next few days, would you, Jesus, uh, ward off the assault of the evil one? And would you speak words of affirmation and love and kindness and goodness and absolute pleasure over these people? Your word says you dance over us, you rejoice over us, you sing over us. Would you sing over Hillary and all of us who understand and relate to Hillary's story? Would you sing over us and would we hear the song of our father over us and may that so outweigh the scratchy voice of the evil one in our lives. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus who died, who rose again, and who is coming back. We ask it in his name. Uh, amen. 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 Thanks, Hillary. Thank you very much. We, fin- we finish every Sunday uh, with communion, and it's appropriate we do so every Sunday. It's appropriate we do it today. Um, because Jesus said... He, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And then he said, what? Do this to remember me, in remembrance of me. And he wasn't saying, Jesus was not saying, you need to remember how awful you are and it was your fault that I went to the cross. That's not what Jesus is saying. Yes, we're sinners. We acknowledge that. Yes, we sin. Yes, I still hurt people. But what Jesus was saying was, remember the promises I gave you. Remember what I came to do in your life. Remember that I'm for you, not against you. Remember that I call you a child. And actually, Jesus says, I I even call you friends. So communion, the table of Jesus, is for anyone who's a friend of Jesus. Because Jesus calls us that. Not perfection. Not uh, 100% moral behavior all the time but friends of Jesus who are willing to hear the voice of the Spirit convict us, but want to, want to uh, quiet the voice of condemnation that will kill us. So this is for anybody who uh, would be a friend of Jesus and who wants to hear his voice of affirmation, love, conviction when needed, but uh, affirmation and love and joy. And uh, let me, as a band, band, come on up and get ready to play, and then I'll pray and then we'll sing the last couple songs jesus we're grateful that you came and like your good friend john the apostle john that you lived with and ate with and laughed with that he said that you came to destroy the works of the devil and it's and jesus we're grateful that you were obedient to what your father asked you to do and you're obedient to death even death on a cross and then because of that god raised you to the highest place as a resurrected uh, savior and uh we're grateful jesus that you opened a new and living way that we don't have to live under condemnation anymore we don't have to live under doubt we live under uh your love as your children and your friends and so jesus would you welcome us right now as we come to take of your uh, table, will you welcome us, your children and your friends? And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Jesus Christ. 